This event was recorded live at the 2016 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good afternoon, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. It's lovely to see you all. Delighted you could you could join us. My name is Peggy Hughes, and I'm the programme director of the Dundee Literary Festival. And I'm really excited to be in conversation today with Emer McBride. To tell you a little bit about Emer, uh, she spent her formative years in Sligo and Mayo uh, before going to London um, to the Drama Centre there. At the age of 17, uh, she wrote A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing at the age of 27, and it was published in 2013, and became quite the publishing sensation winning, and I'll take a deep breath, uh, <laughs> the Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction, the Desmond Elliott Prize, the Kerry Group Irish Novel of the Year, and the Goldsmiths Prize as well. It also garnered a slew of... Um, Amazing critical acclaim universally, which was very exciting. And my favourite bit, um, it had Anne Enright call Emer McBride a genius. So that's pretty all right. Um, so it's really exciting. We're here today to talk about uh, the new second novel, The Lesser. I'm just showing it so when you all dash to the bookshop, you know what you're, you're looking for. Uh, and it's very exciting because this is its first outing. So this is a real, a real treat for us all. Um, so we're going to have a little conversation about that. Uh, Emer's going to read as well. And um, then we hope very much that you'll come in with your questions and comments. Uh, so please just join me in giving her another resounding warm welcome to Edinburgh. Shall I go? Hello, Edinburgh. <laughs> nice to see you all again. And thank you for coming out. So I'm just going to read for a while. And um, <clears throat> the section... Uh, what's just happened before is uh, girl has lost her virginity to uh, a much older man, an actor. And uh, she didn't think she was going to see him again but she bumped into him. And this, is, uh, and this is this, okay. River run running to a northern sea, Thames, needle skin brisk and the eyefuls of concrete, led by the strip for the National Theatre. Go on, get a ticket, go in. Hear the vault and not hawk swell, smacks of the hellless, or at least of the sensible. I'd be what I'd be. Is this the Olivier? Yeah, on upstairs for you. Through an ode to its canyon, I never saw so many chairs. On beyond uncurtained stage, you may take and have me, please. But Saturday matinee, soul in my row, where is everyone else? In the dark come spiders out of art, and first I'm sleuthed away, measuring up the vying worlds, meandering into the emphasised words, but vying neat, neat speeches are oceanous platitudes, so I slide and slide up. Don't sleep, don't, you do not. Settle my head back on my neck, but the veining of boring expands and contracts until I am left to myself. And soon I am judging a hooked toupee, then predicting a spit trajectory. Right down there I'd say to that, redhead asleep. Too far from here though, over there would be, over there, oh, is it? With black specks on, really? Such a dead certain it, and for London, him. Of course it is. And the air makes whistles and my brain makes hay. Guts to gorge. Look at him. Be sure it is. Oh, God. But if I sit still, live for the stage, focus on the actors and glorious fake and look again. Is he looking at me? Read at the programme. Then he definitely isn't. Then it's the interval. Look again. He gets up. Pray for poise. 
more as he excuses himself across, yet more at my aisle, please poise at my step. Hello, I thought it was you, he says, and I remember, and I remember, and make some word like, hi. Enjoying it? Yes, I, really, he says. I thought I saw you nodding off. I wasn't, it's just my first, I mean, you know, I was just looking around. He solemn nods, but somewhere smiles. So, how have you been? I scald cheek, fine, and you? Fine, he says, coming out for a smoke, and unlit in his fingers. No, I, no thanks, and go with reading biogs like war and peace. He loiters further, but I am shame-sealed. Well, I'll leave you to it, he says. Nice to see you again. You too, I say, and don't look up. Do not watch him climb the steps, nor think at all, why were you rude? Only, bladder, why have you forsaken me now? Just wait till he's gone, then go. Right. Stick on that nonchalant smile, don't buy an ice cream like a child, and get what urbane I possess into line as I go back in. But at the bottom of the steps, he's all chat to some girl, close and smiling, she giving laughs, him too, or thoughtful, pushing his hair back. Gets kissed on the mouth too at the bell, and offered permutations of, see you soon then, before he heads back to his row. And so what of it? What do I care? I'm here for the art. And the dark swims over, and the play winds on. In 20 minutes, he's up again, maybe leaving? Should I wave? No. Oh, here. He crosses aisles instead, comes up to my row, then drops in the seat beside. Are you pissed off with me? He asks, leaning his long self in. No, why would I be? Don't know. That's why I'm asking. Well, I'm not, and glare at the stage. I had a good time the other night, he says. I know it got a bit weird at the end, but don't, I say, just don't. All right, with his eyes wandering down my face. So let's go. What? Let's go. This show is shit, and it's not going to improve. It isn't. It is, you liar, he says. Come on. Then gets up and leaves. And I, for only trouble, it seems, get up and go as well. On the stairs down, he says, the designer's a mate, so I have to say a quick hello backstage, but I won't be long. Won't he be offended you left? No, I made the effort. Besides, he said it was bad. Bang out. Sky gone to winter, but still fanfares of sun. I'll just have a look at the books while you're gone. Don't wander off, he says. I shrug. No, I'll be five minutes, that's all. I mean it, don't go home. But I turn on my heel, into the, ball, into the book stalls and the so many books. What is he after? What am I up to? I think it's called adventuring. So shuffle on in with the shufflers, then lose myself in spines. And tick on the moment he reappears where I pretend not to see. His friend as tall as, not as thin, dark-skinned, older, earnestly discussing the pair of them. His fingers negotiating something imaginary, but stops with a loud, yeah, anyway. Then he looks up for me into the end of the sun. Pick me. There she is, over there, so till next weekend. There's a form of an arms round and his friend laugh calls to me. Watch yourself with this one. Sheep and wolves clothing, my dear. Terrible English, he shouts, walking backwards from him. After all these years, you should be ashamed. Then turning around warns, ignore him, with the concrete halving under his feet. Anything good, he asks. Lots, I say, 
So what do you want to do? What? You're the one who wanted to leave. What do you want to do? He hums at the river, casts about. Okay. Ever walked across the Hungerford Bridge to Embankment? Not yet. Then I'll show you my favourite view of London, he says, as we go into the weeding dark. Where's your friend from? Algeria and France. Do you know him from work? That, and he was with my oldest friend. Not anymore. No, he died. What happened? Cancer, he lights up. Pancreas. Like my father. Really? When was that? He died when I was eight. Horrible thing to see, he says, and I nod, because it is. Up to the walkway under hulkish sky, breeze licked and nerves cracking fissures inside as he points out Big Ben, Parliament there. Look through the grating. At halfway, he says, here's London spread out for you. In the murk-cold Thames still curling away, lights just beginning across the city, all the stone world of it, its stone face, showing its towers and flanks and shapes, purplish in this light and grey, and I stand strict by its great space, watching the boats till St Paul's there, he says, the Oxo Tower, Barbican, pointing out places I cannot see, then can, because he stands behind. Look along my arm. No, there, no, there. Do you see? When I still don't, he bends to see it how I see, and I see all of it then. This is the most beautiful view I've ever seen, I say. Really? Better than Naples with those boats stretched out across the bay. Ah, fuck. He remembers my lies. Sorry. Those were all lies, I say. I've never been there, or anywhere else. His elbow on the rail. Well, you're a surprise. What did you make all that up for? I don't know. To be interesting, I suppose. How very calculating, he laughs. And I thought you believed in love. I do, but love isn't what that was. True, he says. But what if I'd been a lonely soul looking for it? Are you? No, I'm not. And you're not much of a liar, I guessed. This, I concede, I've never been. Oh well, that means you're probably quite good at the acting. I quick look up to see if he's joking. He's only watching though. And in a moment says, so? You just used me for your sexual gratification then? Well, I say, it didn't turn out to be that gratifying, so perhaps I got what I deserved. (laughs) Didn't you get what you wanted? Didn't you? I say, sort of. It started out well enough, but... You are hurting me, I whisper. You are a virgin, he whispers back. I'm not responsible for the laws of nature. I know that, but I thought at least I wouldn't have to see you again. Ah well, you shouldn't have shagged an actor then. But now he is laughing and I almost am over my chasing brain. So throw my breath to the Thames and the strange of the day as we strangers stand looking out on the city. Quiet then, but for its sound, that noise it must make for its life to go round. Slow aftershave smell of some passing man, loud of the train as it clanks behind. Me watching the river, him watching me. What? I ask. You know well what, he says, and stoops and kisses me. Fresh inclination and the blood goes up, bends me like a body, puts inside into my mouth, and we, deep and open, where is no mistake, where are only runs of thoughts of next, of kissing him in that short past, naked and 
He stops, I stumble forward in perfect dazed unfurl, his breath on my hot cheek, then kissing me further, and I might fall over, but he has my arm, and we kiss like he drags me live from under the Thames, and where was all this want when I needed it? I don't care, I don't, and I could, enough, he says, this is getting ridiculous. Do you fancy getting something to eat? There now, legs, but disgraceful knees. All his impulses working inside out too, it seems, for even as I nod, see him almost go again for me, and I am all for that. But he turns instead, wiping his mouth on his hand, leaving me tapping the prickle of mine to trail him over the bridge. Very joyful section. It's a very, it's a very joyful book. Good. I'm glad that you think so. I think so too. Was that, that that was the after girl the intention to, to write something with yeah, that energy. Well, yeah, I really wanted to write a book about joy, and um, you know, I did feel I owed people after girls have one thing. <laughs> um, but of course, as I wrote, I discovered you you can't write a whole book about joy in the way that you can definitely write a whole book about despair. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a much, it's a book that is full of life. And it is a book about survivors. Yeah, yeah. And what, what do you think, um, I mean the language, I want to ask you about the language um, of this theatre world. Did it inform the book, like the, 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 the whole structure of the language, the theatre world that you're, you're kind of mirroring? I think it was, well, I think, you know, my approach to writing was always very informed by my theatre training and about trying to use, trying to recreate characters in the way that you learn to do as an actor, but then trying to make language do that work instead of the body. Um, And so that's certainly part of it. Um, And I suppose I was just interested to go back and look at those those things again, that life, that language, yeah, those so structures. Tell, tell us more about that because it's it's set in 1994. Yes. So that must have been nice to to go back, I guess. Yeah, I suppose I I kind of had a horror of my life at drama school. I didn't, you know, it's one of those weird things. Like if you, you know, if you train to be an electrician, and then you decide you don't want to be an electrician and you become a plumber, you don't spend your whole life being called a failed electrician. You know, <laughs> whereas with actors, it's like oh, a failed actor. You know, like. <laughs> And so I think because I had decided I didn't want to act, I always felt kind of, I had this sort of phobia thinking about that time in my life. Um, and then, and I lived in London for many years and I just moved back to Ireland and I really missed London. I hadn't really expected to, to leave. And I started to think about London a lot and feel quite homesick for it and think about the London that I knew at that time. So, so, so the book started to really, it was London was the beginning of that book. It's full of that fantastic detail and colour of that, that world, um, much more so than Girl, which is quite pared back. Was that yeah. a, a, a kind of conscious decision to be much more panoptic in the way you looked at the whole world in this book? Yeah, I mean, I remember w- writing Girl, I really wanted to keep as much of the outside world out as possible, have as few details as possible, whereas this felt very much about recreating that world and how that world influenced the characters moving around inside it mm-hmm. and and the energy of that time that kind of mid-90s Camden town mm-hmm. was very important to that especially you know to write a character who's a young girl coming to London for mm-hmm. the first time and that sort of 
you know, quality of arriving in Babylon, you know. (laughs) Freedom, you know. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I wonder if uh, the distance helps then, the kind of having written uh, away from London and having that kind of perspective on it, would you say? Does that make it easier? Yeah, I think so. I think if I had stayed in London, I, I probably wouldn't have written that book. I probably would have just continued to feel bitter about how difficult life in London was and not being able to, to think of anything you know, yeah. sort of joyful about it yeah. and, and having that space and then having that gap. Although it, when I started writing the book, it was only sort of 10 years after. And of course, by the time I'd finished the book, it was nearly 20 years <laughs> after, yeah. but having that sort of gap of time as well. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about the, the sort of the, the dread, the difficult second novel thing. <sighs> I mean, was it, it being, we just said, a, a, a bouncier book in some ways? Did that make it an easier book to write? No. I mean, I wrote Girl in six months, and this took me nine years. So it was extremely hard to write, much, much harder to write. And the second novel is a real bastard, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you do because you have to learn how to be a writer at that point. It doesn't just all come out. Yeah. And, it, you know, I had to think a lot more about structure and characters and than I had bothered to do with Girl, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Could you talk us through a little bit of those, those decision-making, a bit more about the process, I guess, of of getting it onto the, onto the computer, onto the page, whatever way you... Computer. Computer, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could you talk us through that a little bit, like how you, how you decide, you've got the idea, you want to go back to London, just a little bit more about how then you start to shape it. Yeah, well, I mean, really when I sat down, I didn't know what I was going to write about. And, and so in the same way it was with Girl, I just started to write. I decided I would write a thousand words a day because that's what I'd got the previous book written. And that's what I did, um, except the first draft took me a whole year. And when I got to the end of it, it was rubbish. And I gave it to my husband, who read it and went, this is rubbish. (laughs) Um, But I then, at at that point, I knew what I wanted to write about. I understood. And so, you know, the next eight years were really about kind of (laughs) digging down into that. And and it was, you know, about, oh, maybe about six years in, it was about 800 pages long. It was huge, big thing and but at that point I then understood everything about the characters and everything about the the narrative arc and I was able to just go back and then just cut and anything that I that I didn't remember if I arrived at a section thought oh I've forgotten about this you know I wrote this five years ago it I just cut it and threw it away so if I didn't naturally remember it I thought it's not important tell us a little bit about the relationship to the to the central characters then if you would um, well, you know, I think it, for me it was interesting uh, to create a big gap in the ages. I thought that was interesting. And it was also, you start, you start out with this archetype, with a stereotype, really, a sort of young girl, older man. Mm. She's very open and innocent, and he's sort of knowing and experienced. Mm. But then try to dig down into the humanity of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose different things as I went along in that process became more important to me, became more interesting me to explore. And I really started to be very interested in thinking about, writing about being a broken person or when you see yourself as a failed human being, not just a professional failure or you have failed at any one particular thing, but that as a human being that you are not right something is wrong. Mm-hmm. 
and and trying to explore that really and to see where that leads you and what can be done about it if something can be done about it because mm-hmm. you've said it's a book about about surviving basically mm-hmm. could you say more about about that about that that how that's different to the victim the the more well i think I mean, with Girl, Girl is very much a book about the moment of trauma and and Mm. reproducing the moment of trauma so that the reader experiences that in that moment. But this is about life, about what happens after, about the next day, about the next five years, about the next 10 years, about what it is to carry something through your life Mm -hmm. with you and how it grows and changes and how your attitude towards it and towards yourself changes over the years Mm. as a result of it. And about a past that you're trying to kind of perhaps yeah. move away from? Or, well, or, or a past that you, you don't want to think about but is inescapable, but that has changed the way that you can live your life, I mm-hmm. suppose. Mm-hmm. How far would you say it's an Irish book or yourself an Irish writer? You know, there was a oh, quote recently. The Irish question. Uh, I think it was Sigrid Rising said that um, Irish people, or writers, I guess, kind of try and both repel and relish that particular national identity. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's problematic. And um, I mean, obviously, I am an Irish person and an Irish writer. I, I don't think this book is a particularly Irish book except that it writes about except that i'm writing about the irish experience in london in that time which is not something that is represented very much i think in fiction about what that was like to be irish to be young in london at a time when it was not popular to be oh. irish there's a little section in the book where she meets someone who says you know don't read the paper on the don't on read the, the irish times on the tube yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know there was i obviously experienced a lot of strange racism and things at that time and it, it's it once it kind of shuffled off onto the next group mm. I think it got forgotten mm. by the Irish community in Britain yeah. what that was like how hard that was and I suppose I wanted to just remember that mm. Are you ever surprised by the things that sneak in to the fiction anything that you maybe thought you'd worked through in girl and it comes back stuff that you hadn't planned or you wanted to be there I don't know I suppose I realized early on that the two books were actually very closely connected although you know they're completely different characters different atmosphere and everything but that they are two sides of the same coin and and there are some you know similar themes but i think the handling of them is is different Mm -hmm. Mm um and i yeah i think if i could have chosen i wouldn't have chosen to to look at those things again but Clearly, they were. They popped up. They were there, and they weren't going away. Yeah, yeah. Are they difficult to write? The more difficult, um, the things that are often hidden. Is that is that like a bad day at the at the desk? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that more grueling for you as the writer, or? No, I mean, uh, those are the bits that I like writing the most. You know, get the knife in, slit it right up the stomach, see what's inside. You know, that's the good stuff about being a writer. You know, bad days are the days you have to work out when you say he said and she said (laughs) in a sentence. Those are boring days. Um, No, I mean, it just took me a long time to write it, and that was strange and unexpected. Uh, You know, when I got to the end, I couldn't believe how many years it had been to to get to that point, I suppose. Yeah. Could we talk about the sex? 
We can always talk about sex. It's great to be an Irish woman on a stage (laughs) talking about sex. (laughs) It's a lot of sex. There is a lot of sex in this book. Yeah. Uh, Again, that was probably something that came up against my will. I really, you know, didn't want to write about that. It's a bit mortified, you know, watching (laughs) sex on the telly with your mum, you know, like, oh, don't, don't, don't write that. But, But I suppose I was interested in this in sex as a form of communication and that's what it is between these two characters and it and and seeing how it changes over the course of the relationship that you know she comes to it as you know she's just looking to lose her virginity and she's very you know, sort of enthusiastic about that he's experienced and kind of jaded and um and how you know really how those two things begin to fit together and then mm. and how they change and they're also both people who don't know how to talk about what goes on inside mm. of themselves and so instead they use their bodies to mm. express it and, and they kind of go through a whole journey yeah. with yeah. this sexual relationship yeah. and you know every time I, I kept trying to sort of cut out more shagging <laughs> it just kept coming back in um, because it just it seemed to be you know, I was interested to try and write about that. And also, there's so much terrible sex writing, and I just, I didn't want to write about the, you know, the comets colliding, or the, oh, it's all so dirty and grubby and humiliating. Mm. I wanted to try and find something in between, because, you know, for most of us, we quite like it. Sometimes it's good, sometimes <laughs> it's bad, sometimes it's amazing, and that seems more, more reasonable, but also not something that gets written about. Mm-hmm. very much and and I then it was interesting to try and write about sex in a different way and I knew I think when you write about what bodies do that's it's tricky because it's it, very easy for that to slip into pornography to that just be ends up becoming titillation mm-hmm. and so I really wanted to try and keep the internal experience going at the same time as the physical experience. Mm -hmm. What's happening, because, you know, when you're having sex, and for whatever reason, you know, just because you fancy a shag, or you're madly in love, or, you know, you're bored and it just, it's available, you know, you you still are having an internal emotional reaction to that, whatever that is. And it was interesting to try and overlay those things all the time. and to just keep that connection very clear so it didn't become pornographic. Yeah, and to remove yourself again in that kind of way that you write, to, to take the writer bit out, it's just like an well, engagement. Well, I mean, that's the, the thing. I think if you have the, the writer telling you what's going on, then that, then that's getting more pornographic again. That's kind of mm. viewing rather than partaking. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's hard to write about it also because there is such a, a narrow vocabulary about sex so you know one of my early rules was I could not use the word thrusting (laughs) or grinding or (laughs) pumping or you know none of the sort of the sex words those were not allowed and I had to try and find a different way to write about those those things this should be a thing Emer McBride's rules to writing about sex (laughs) thrusting um I mean there's a lot of interesting things to be said about the 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 body generally in in the book you know the especially Mm. the the male gaze and, and the female body I wonder if you could say something about that maybe did you do you feel a responsibility to to write about those issues particularly today when you know there's a lot of uh, terrible magazines that objectify women and yeah. well, there always have been but 
No, I don't feel any responsibility. I feel like I just my responsibility is to to the writing, and that's it. And um, I, but also, I I think there's a lot about the female gaze in this book, mm -hmm. and it was interesting to write from that perspective of this girl looking at this kind of handsome man that she really fancies. Um, yeah, I I just I. I don't think I could sit down and write in a in a political way. If it becomes that, then well and good. But, but it has to come after. It's not. It has you to. Sit that has it. to come out of it. But that's that can't be the objective when I sit down. For me, it's really about taking out all forms of judgment, of trying to write without judgment. Really, to just say, here this is. Here are these people. These are the things that happened between them, mm -hmm. and here are the things that from their past sort of influence the things that are happening between them. Mm -hmm. um, and you make of that what you will as the reader. You, you decide what you think about that. I'm not telling you. Yeah. Is that a difficult thing to do, especially with some of the, the themes that arise and so forth? Is it, do you actually have a moral judgment, but you just remove it again? Or do you? I, I, I think, again, this was probably something that came from my acting training. It was very much about learning to look at people and just to try to understand to try to make sense of what you see, rather than deciding whether someone is a bad person or a good person. Or, and of course, people behave badly and you know, do bad things to people and that have terrible consequences for their lives. But that is not my job as the writer to decide to make those decisions or to tell the reader what they are to think. I really want them to just to look and make up their own minds what they think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you find that with girl that there were people who brought their, you know, to readings and so on? Would they bring a big uh, their moral opinion, or is that did, did any of that surprise you when girl yeah, came into I the mean, world? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly some of the the critical writing about it, it was very interesting to see the kind of language that was used to describe the girl's uh, sexual behaviour and how often male writers use the word slut. Um, which, you know, kind of horrified me, really, mm. that this was just an easy thing to say, and that even with everything that was in that book, everything that it was about, that they could still just mm -hmm. slap the label on, and that mm -hmm. was it, that was the sum total of, of what, what that was all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Girl was adapted for uh, stage. Do you see this? This feels to me, obviously it's about the theatre, but could also be very ripe for a, an adaptation? Would, do, do, was that in your mind as a as a, an actor when you were writing no, it? When I when I, early on, I remember because you know I was obviously in the publishing doldrums and had no prospect of that changing. Thinking, oh, maybe I should just turn this into a film script because it felt very filmic to me. Um, but ah, you know, I'm just I'm a control freak really, and there's nothing like a novel. If you're a control freak, you can just you know you get. To, to say everything and and decide all of the details mm -hmm. and you know everyone has the facial expression you want them to have mm. at the moment that they have it um but that said now that it's finished i i could see it i don't think it would work as a piece of theater but you know it's cinematic the way you've chopped the, the parts up and the the atmosphere we talked about and the 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 kind of all the visual detail is very is very filmic i thought that when i was when i was reading it definitely yeah no, yeah, no, I, th I think so, because there is a creation of a whole world that would be quite interesting to see, as yeah. well as read, I think. I wonder if you could mention religion, actually, which is there in, in various... Don't do religion, um, kids. 
<laughs> shouldn't shouldn't talk about it, but uh, but you know the, the sort of the, the sneering landlady, uh, the, the the mother. If if you could, just yeah, your your relationship to that within the book. No, well again, I think that was very much about writing about a rural Irish girl coming to the city, that kind of experience, and the Irish people that she met. The, you know, she moves. She's got this Irish landlady who's like, like uh, no men in this house, and all this kind of stuff, which you know was. I think that was pretty normal. Um, and I think those those kind of Irish landladies are now gone. They're part of the past. And I, I maybe wanted to memorialise <laughs> that sort of thing a bit. I bet they're not. I bet they're still there. Probably somewhere. I hope they are. <laughs> Some of them. Well, I did actually, when I finished the book, had a little walk around some of the places that I had based it on. And I must say... One of them did look exactly the same, only about 20 years tattier. Ah, fabulous. <laughs> so same place. I wanted same to place. knock the door and see if the same people yeah, were still inside. Yeah. But I mean, do, do, do you wonder if people will try to say this is your life? This is just, it's just you, you're that, you're yes, that girl I'm in the book. I'm sure that they will, in the same way that they said it about girl. Um, but, you know, two very different things happen in those books, so... They can all be right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's fine. I think. I mean, of course, I find it annoying when people just decide that it's it's more memoir than fiction. But at the same time, I think that means that they feel that there is a truth to the writing, and yeah. and while I, as a novelist, don't believe that literal truth is more truthful than fictional truth, um, it's flattering that they feel. That so that the, the experience is so close to them that mm. it has to be true. But does it trouble you enormously, does it, does it? No, it doesn't really. I mean, I think if it was going to trouble me that much, I should have written something else in a different way. Or You know, it's a bit late now for that kind of thing. Um, I, I think it's okay, you know. Yeah. I might not feel the same way in about a year's time <laughs> once everyone's read it and it's funny you're telling me this is exactly my life the but, yeah. very first time you've you've this talked about the it first of time yeah i've really yeah. talked about it so yeah we cannot keep an eye on time there we cannot go we can't talk about the ending obviously but i what yeah. i do want to know is um do you know that's where it's going in that kind of mode is it completely plotted or is that something that no, uh, we can't have spoilers. Well, I don't, you know, I don't plot at all. For me, I write, and what comes comes, and it's about trying to find the logic and the truth of those situations, and trying to make the choice that makes it logical that what happens next. And um, so, the end, you know, I, yeah, I, I didn't really know until I got there that that's that's what would happen. Do things surprise you when you're when you're writing? Do, yes. pe- do people do things that you think, oh? Yeah, I think things occasionally, you know, a sentence comes out and you just think, oh, shit. Okay, that's, okay, that's different. And then, and then you have to try and take the risk to follow it. And, and also know the difference between, you know, if you can, if you kind of find a, a turning point and you can already see the end of this turning point in the distance, that's not the way to go. Mm-hmm. But if, it, if you can just see another little bit further on down the road, that's the way. That's you the know. follow. Yeah. So I, I imagine with, with your, you know, the kind of way you write, things must su- maybe surprise all the time. Would that be the case? Especially yeah, your use of verbs. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was really struck by the, by the verbs <laughs> in there. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, f- uh, writing for me is very much about trying to get into the right frame of mind when I sit down to do it. It's not about 
following a plan or I think there are certain scenes that I could see very, very early on and that I knew would would come at some point in the book and it was trying to find where they came and why they came. Mm -hmm. um, but all along the way, everything is a complete surprise. It's, mm. you know, it is just kind of running around in the dark with your hands out, hoping for the best <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. It's still got this very slap in the face quality, the language here, which is very... How, how do you sustain that across? I like, I like it. I like language. I enjoy it. For me, it's fun. It's the pleasure. You know, I hate the first draft. I hate trying to work out what happens. I hate generating material. I like rewriting. I enjoy that. That's and that's, and you know, unlike Girl, which was very much the language and the story all came pretty much at the same time. So the first draft was the same as the as the third draft. Uh, the third draft was just the language is much more tidied. Whereas with this, you know, it was a. I would say, the language came right at the end. So you know, this time last year, I was sitting up in my attic, sort of writing for 16 hours a day and ignoring all forms of humanity, including my own. It was all a bit, you know, feral. Oh. But um, that was the point when the language finally clicked in and I really understood how it worked. And it was, it was nice to, to write something in a, in, with a lighter touch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it felt... I just enjoyed... You know, it's, it's kind of interesting to write characters that say funny things, because you think... Yeah. How do you, okay, how do you think of something funny that this person says? I know they should say something funny yeah. now, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. And, and trying to come up with that sort of thing. Yeah, the humour. Or you're writing characters that are cleverer than you are. That's quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I detected Shakespeare with, with couplets and things. Was that, is that something that I just smelled out and that's not, that was never intentional? No, I, or? I, again, uh, I would like to say yes, of course. But... <laughs> You know, it's much more, for me, writing is much more an animal process. But of course, everything that you read feeds into that. And, you know, I reread a lot of books and a lot of plays that I had read at that time in my life at drama school, and Shakespeare was obviously mm -hmm. part of that. So those things, you know, you just steal as you go along, and, you, you, you know, you're kind of a magpie, and it's just trying to make it all fit together in the right way at the mm -hmm. right time. Yeah. I love that, that immersion that I, I hope, imagine, must have gone on to get back to 1994 and so on. Um, <laughs> yes, there was a I lot of old photographs looked oh, at. Oh, yeah, lovely. <laughs> the old, get the old boxes out. I'd love to bring everyone in. Uh, I think the house lights will go up, and we will have a microphone as well. Does anyone have any? Oh, yes, we've got one right up at the back. We've got one at the front, and we've got two over here. Brilliant. Thank you. Yep, we'll go here first. Thanks. Hi. Um, I noticed recently that a reader's guide to Girls a Half-Formed Thing has been published by Small Independent. Yes. Does that feel surreal to you? That does feel incredibly weird, I must say. Um, but, you know, my ego can take it. <laughs> I, I have read it. I And David Collard, who wrote it, was the person who wrote the first review of The Girls a Half-Formed Thing, the TLS. And um, he sent me drafts as we went along, and I disagreed with a lot of the things that he said, <laughs> but also I, you know, it was his business, so th that was fine, I think. Um, but yes, quite a weird thing to do, to see. Hello. Um, I'm quite interested in the 
tension between what you said about being a control freak and the way you describe how you write. Mm. Um, because it seems like a very emerging process, not planned, and yet you say you're a control freak. So I'm quite interested in the tension yes. between those two things and how that's reflected in the way you choose to write. Because when I read The Girl, it was almost like having to learn a new language. Um, mm. And it took time before it made sense in yeah. your head. So. I think, you know, I mean, uh, with girl, oh, I don't really know how to answer this question. I suppose when girl became successful, and I had already been working on the Lesser Bohemians for six years at that point, and suddenly there was a lot of pressure and everyone had an opinion, and it was all, what will the next book be? Will it be the same? Will it be different? Will it be whatever? And I remember working, going back and working on the manuscript and feeling like I was dragging all the language in on top of myself, that I was making it much harder than a girl is a half form thing. As a sort of mode of protection, I was kind of hiding underneath all of the language. And I suppose I f that's, that's about the control freakery, I think, and then just trying to remember that those characters are different, that the language has to work in a different way. And it's about trying to keep it as pure as possible, to keep all of the world on the outside of the book until the book is finished, to not feel influenced by other people's opinions or thoughts on the process at all, and, and not allowing that to kind of to spoil something. But it's... Yeah, it's really about trying to get into the right frame of mind where you can allow yourself to be free with the language while at the same time controlling all the borders around you as a writer and keeping everything out. And and that was the same with the girls have from thing even though nobody gave a shit about me when I was writing that and there was no one's opinion or anything like that, but it was about trying to make sure that the world stayed on the outside. Um so that I could be free then inside that space to do whatever I wanted and pursue whatever whims, you know, or whatever came to me. Uh, yeah, we've got, we'll go here and then here. You said it took nine years. I guess this is tangential to the last question. How much of the delay was due to your desire to get the sex writing right? <laughs> and how horrified would you be if you now win the literary bad sex award? Oh, this, <laughs> it, it, won't, it won't win that. I can, I can vouch for that. Definitely not. Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, it, I wouldn't say that the nine years was about getting the sex writing right, it was about getting all the writing right, but the, you know, writing about sex, you obviously do put yourself in a position where you know you can be very easily ridiculed. And, and that's a hard thing to do. And it, it does kind of tie into your question as well about trying to keep the world on the outside of that and to make yourself take a risk that you know can have a very bad consequence. Um, that can be, and especially writing about sex, which is so vulnerable and everyone has so many opinions about, it, it can be so humiliating to get that wrong. And, and so it's very important to, to try and keep all of that on the outside and just concentrate on what it is you're trying to do. While you're writing your first draft and you're keeping the world out, is it possible to read for pleasure? And if you can, who do you find interesting? 
Um, first drafts, I tend to stop reading at that point. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I, once I realized this book was going to take me years, I thought, oh shit, I can't not read for years. So, but it got easier as time went on. And I also tried to not to read anything that would get inside me too much. Um, or that would be similar. And, and luckily, there are not a lot of writers who write in the way that kind of goes inside you as a writer. They can go inside you as a reader, but not necessarily as a writer. And so it was okay to kind of keep away. And I read lots of, you know, sort of 19th century novels and things like that, which were very far. Although I think, you know, in some ways, I think of this is my stab at a more 19th century style of novel. It's got sort of big monologues and things like that in it. Um, but writing-wise, very, very separate. Hi, I know you've had two very different experiences writing your books um, and with them being published. Like, Girl, written relatively shortly. It took a long time to get published <laughs> and the complete opposite um, with this new novel. I just wondered what you envisaged for the writing of a third novel that's <laughs> already in progress. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I really need to get out of this whole nine-year cycle thing. You know, there's only so much life. I'm going to be 40 in October. You know, I'd like to write a few more novels. Um, but I think, I mean, I've started the second, the third novel already. And um, I think it, I think both Girl and The Lesser Bohemians are quite big books, even though they're not, you know, they're not long books. But they, there's a lot of big things that happen inside them. And I think this time around, I want to write something that is very quiet and small and intimate and where nothing incredibly dramatic happens and see if it's possible to make that interesting. <laughs> but I do have a terrible love of the melodramatic, so <laughs> we'll have to see if I can master it for the next book. But I'm hoping it will be written in a much shorter space of time. What's the sort of time frame for that? Because you'll, you'll about to begin with a big promotional everywhere, yeah. you know, we're first. Um, but <laughs> what, what, when does then the third novel get to... Well, you know, yeah, it's 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 tricky. I haven't. This is kind of is new for me because obviously I spent so much time being a failure and getting to work quietly and privately on *Lesser Bohemians* without anyone caring. That it, this is it kind of first time as my sort of grown-up writer self has to you know start again after the book tour. But I've known what the next book is for a very long time, and as soon as I handed this in to Faber. Uh, at the end of September last year, I started writing. And, you know, in between various bits and bobs, I've been writing. And, you know, the night before last, I was up until 11 working on it. And it's starting, I can feel it's just starting to take momentum inside. And it's about trying to, you know, just f when I have time to do that. But there will be a point when I have to mm -hmm. go. Yeah. Goodbye, world. Just me in the attic <laughs> now for a while. Yeah, not washing, not doing anything, yeah. just sitting. Me. Uh, we have this one right up at the back. Am I missing anyone on this side? No, no, no. Hi. Do you see yourself writing your memoirs at any point? Oh God, no. I don't think so because you know one of the things that I find writing as a novelist that it seems to destroy my own personal memories. You know, because there are there are obviously parts of my own life that go into have gone into both books, and now I can't remember 
which which is fiction and which is you know fact anymore. So I think I would be terrible. Yeah, I don't think I'd be a terrible memoirist. And also, you know, what am I going to say? Sat down at the desk again. <laughs> wrote a thousand <laughs> words. Didn't wash. <laughs> yeah, had a yeah. coffee. Yeah. This week, one shower. <laughs> you know, it's just. I don't know. I mean, I know um, Edna O'Brien swore that she never would, and that's when she, the beginning of her memoir, she says, "I swore I never would," and here it is. So I don't know if I if I live to a grand age, maybe I'll change my mind. But. Uh, yeah, I think I kind of destroyed my memories for my fiction, so possibly not. <laughs> Your writing style is obviously very unique and very personal to you. How did the editing process with the publisher work, and did it differ between the two books? Well, I mean, with with the Girl is a Half Form thing, yeah, you know, the galley beggar, the three of them read it, and then we all went to the pub. And Sam Jordison said, change the beginning and cut the end. And I said, no. And he said, yes. And I, so I ended up changing the beginning and not cutting the end. And that was basically the editing process. Um, with this, um, I, I edited it at Faber. My editor there had some ideas about things that she didn't like in the book. and. I didn't agree with her, but I understood what she was concerned about. So I went back and rewrote some sections. Um, and I think, and then when she read them, she went, okay, I'm sold, you've sold me now. And so it was, I mean, there was no kind of line editing process or anything like that. It was very much this bit or this bit, you know, that was, you know, I, I don't like this bit or change that bit, but there was, there was no kind of conversation about where full stops should or should not go. Uh, we've got one. Will be time for one or two more. Uh, we've got, uh, that, can we go to this we've, second row and then you've got one? Yeah, great. Hi there. Um, I was just wondering, basically, you mentioned about how they're kind of um, big issues and kind of small books of sorts. And yeah, when I was reading Girl, I kind of thought that, yeah, although it was only maybe 200 pages or whatever, within maybe I'd read five page five pages one day and then kind of have to stop. And like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> so sorry. I was just thinking some days, like, obviously you mentioned like uh, you wrote that in six months. Is, yeah. is that sometimes like a tough space for yourself to kind of um, inhabit for that even that long just on yeah, such topics? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was like a mad woman by the time I finished The Girl as a half from Thing. I was really very just obsessed with it and I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know what was going on, I just knew I had to get the book written. And obviously nine years, you can't do that for nine years, but there were certainly long periods of time where I went through incredibly intense writing phases, like months and months of you know writing 16, 17 hours a day. And there was certainly a point where I thought, this writing is going really well, but I don't think that I'm very well now. And I have to just try and, you know, I remember feeling like I was just standing right on the edge and I was just, you know, thinking, just finish the book. And then whatever happens, happens, but finish the book first. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, kind of wringing everything out into it and not knowing if you're going to come out the other end. And there was, yeah, uh, it's hard, hard to write. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, yeah, the question was, it was interesting, you're talking about Edna, Brian, who I'm coming to see on Tuesday, and I was just thinking of the kind of, I've not read, you, you know, the, your latest novel, so, but it's that thing like the country girls, you know, with Mr. Gentleman, this relationship with the older man, mm. and the kind of far-reaching consequences, and Lynn Barber's, you know, in education, I just wonder how you kind of came about, you know, that sort of choosing that age gap. And I'm intrigued to know how that relationship pans out. But I just, when you were talking, I just was thinking yeah. when I, as a young woman, read Country Girls, and I actually also went out with an older man, and which was not manipulative. In fact, I think I was a bit more manipulative than he was. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just interested in that theme and, and how it came about. Yeah, I think it was just... Um, it was more interesting to me to have that space between these two people um, because you learn more about the male character as the book goes on um, and it, I think it's interesting to have one character that's very vulnerable it's obviously very kind of open and impressionable and and another character who is quite closed that, that the, the sort of the, in, the innocent one is bumping up against sometimes literally but <laughs> Often, literally, and, um, <laughs> but uh, I do. I think I like a secret, and uh, older people's secrets are more interesting than younger people's secrets. Certainly, to younger people. <laughs> Any final tiny questionettes, or shall I? No, no, no. Not missed anyone. Just a f yes. We have a final contender. We'll take that one. Great. Thank you. Oh, hold on, wait for the mic. How easy or how difficult is it for a writer to shut herself out of the world if there is a family, children and husband about her? Well, you know, the first thing that you have to do is accept that, uh, that you are an intensely selfish and self-obsessed person <laughs> as a writer and that you will sacrifice anything and everything in order to write. And that is not a good thing to recognize about yourself, but it is a true thing. And then it's trying to work around it and trying to find a way that that's not too terrible for everyone else to live with. And also important to have a husband who is willing to pick up the slack. <laughs> um, that's, that's the only way it's manageable. It's, it's very tricky to have young children and, and to write but trickier to, to not write because you have young children. And I think that has far worse consequences for everyone in the long run. Great. I'm afraid we have to draw it to a close there. I would just say, do, is, the, is the, this kind of failed, failed actor, is this book that's got it out of you? <laughs> Done? I hope so. I hope you'll come to the bookshop and join us uh, where Emer will sign. I'd like to thank you all very, very much for coming today, and I'd like you to join me in thanking very much Emer McBride. Thank you very much. Thank you. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.